Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. This is the behind the scenes podcast with members of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In this episode, we're getting stuck into one piece of music, Sibelius's Fifth Symphony. Today, I'm joined by horn player Johnny Ryan, Simon Estelle, who plays the bassoon and contrabassoon, and violinist Tom Eisner, who will help us get inside this inspiring piece. Welcome, Johnny, Simon and Tom. How are you doing? Hi. Hi, Good, thank you. Well, I want to start with you, Tom. When did you first play Sibelius's Fifth Symphony? I first played Sibelius's Fifth Symphony in my first job, actually in Denmark. I I know that Denmark is um, not as far north as Finland, but compared to... Closer than we are. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I was actually terribly lucky because the conductor that week was Jorma Panula. Jorma Panula has become an icon in terms of teaching Finnish conductors. So all the present generation, Jukka Pekka and uh, Salonon and Vanska and Susanna Melki, they all studied with... And Simon, when was the first time that you played this beautiful symphony? I was panicking that you were going to ask me that because I cannot remember, quite frankly, but it's it's definitely within the, the LPO time. It's probably about 15 years ago, I would have thought, and I couldn't honestly remember. I can't remember who it was with. That's all right. And when you first played it, were you aware of the history of Sibelius and sort of, you know, how we can read his diaries and hear his mindset when he was creating these pieces? Or was it a piece of music, first and foremost, you're looking at the notes and how to perform it best, and then you learn later on? So much with Sibelius, is I, I personally, I get that. I get this sort of Scandinavian sort of imagery of, yes. of sort of lakes or, you know, the cold temperature and wrapped up warm, but this just serene beauty you know it creates a beautiful Um, landscape yeah yeah and uh johnny what are some of the challenges or rewards when you play this piece for me it was a very good way for me to learn about structure about how a conductor might be able to pace extremely long sections of of music to bring you up to the climax of a piece without sort of letting the cat out of the bag beforehand and even though you'd be tempted to in Sibelius a lot because it's so well written, you feel like you want to bring out your part a lot of the time. But it was that sort of the the maturity to hold back so that you got a greater reward at the end is something that strikes me when I play it. I love that. I love that sort of work, that sort of looking at bigger pictures and perhaps sacrificing little mini phrases for the greater good in a way. Johnny, can I just jump in? I mean, it's uh, you're quite fortunate to play the horn. I mean, it's if, if there was a sort of go-to instrument, it, you know, that if I could play another instrument, it would probably be the horn. You get such amazing things. But Sibelius V, yeah. what an absolutely incredible opening to that piece. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about the imagery and stuff. I mean, this thing just blooms and blossoms from the word go, you know. It's a piece that, that instantly cries, you know, expanse. That sort of even first phrase is so expansive. I think our problem and the frustrating thing for us is that the whole first four pages is this feeling of uncertainty. And there's one very well-known bit for the, the violins where we're doing these triplets, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 uh, the challenge is, is just to stay together. You know, all 16 of us in our section and the, well, all 30 violins. Interesting because Simon was comparing it to the Finnish landscape 
for me, I have this image of um, you're, you're sort of lost in a wood there. You know, it's, it's very dark. And um, sort of halfway through that movement, you're suddenly out in, in a clearing. <laughs> and it's um, at, at that point, the symphony becomes very playable. So, you know, technically, it's those first four pages where, where the worry is, you know, what, am I in the right place? And, and, that, that, that's, <laughs> and you're in the woods. That's, the, that's my image of it, um, one of those boring Finnish woods that goes on and on forever. <laughs> Just um, the, the current, current time, the trees were a bit further apart. A good friend of mine got married in north of Jansu in Finland. And I remember that journey. We, it was in August and we flew to Helsinki. Then we got a little flight to Jansu and then it was a two-hour drive further north again to... He actually got married in the church. There's a famous church that Sibelius wrote a lot of music in. It was an amazing place. I was lucky enough to play something there. And then, oh, wow. But it was this idea that even the, even the night and day... You know, you don't even get, have that black and white because that's all blurred. And you have that, I mean, it was three o'clock in the morning and it's like it's 10 in the morning. It just yeah. doesn't sort of stop. So the expanse not only relates to what it looks like, all the trees were the same. That was what I was going to say on that drive. There wasn't one tree that was bushy, you know, because the bushy ones die, I guess. But everything was like, everything was Christmas. And you've, There was that uniformity. But it also stretches into time. In that when you don't have day and night, you have the feeling of expanses actually in your life. It's not just what, it, what looks expansive, but it actually feels expansive because you don't have, well, now it's time to go to bed or now it's whatever. It bleeds into your, your kind of being or how you go about your day. And I think that that's something that, that Sibelius captures, that, that, you know, it is expansive, it's organic, it just... It's very rarely, apart from the endings, weirdly, it's very rarely yeah. abrupt. And I did want to ask you, Tom, just about the technique that goes behind it, especially in the violins. You speak about staying in time. I wanted to ask you also in the, that final movement, um, what is the technique that you hear in the strings? It sounds like very, very quick triplets, but what is it? Is it pizzicato? What is it called? No, it's, it's um, that's, um, you're, playing, you're playing 16th. So it's, it's right. almost a tremolo. That bit. That's it. Tom, do you actually play the? Do you play the sixteenths, or do you? I'm just looking at the music. No, yes, we we do. Yes. That sounds hard to me. For horn players, that feels like that would be hard. I mean, that's really hard to get together. Do you think he meant it to be to sound uniform, or do you think he meant it to sound? You're talking about the last movement. Yeah. I think yes, he did. I mean, it's the. It's the first movement that I, that I question um, the bits that always sounds a bit uncertain. Um, that, that's, but I think he deliberately did that. that. So then, when you get to the resolution, when you're out of the woods, it's, it, it reinforces that effect. It's probably like a, a flock of birds. Well, wasn't that his? Oh, the, that's he, the one. All going in the same direction, but they're all completely out of time. The sixteen swans. <laughs> ultimately, they're all doing the same thing. Yeah. There's one thing that I was a bit frustrating because we've, we've just played it, we played it a month ago. Because we're, we're only allowed to be 10 first violins, we have to socially oh, distance. So we're normally 16, and that was a bit frustrating because it was the same, it, it was a bit out of bounds because normally you've got the big orchestra there. And that's, that's one thing I've, I've missed about that. You've got to have the full force for such a, a great piece. Uh, I was watching um, on YouTube last night, there was uh, just, you know, I thought. I'd, a bit of swatting and uh, 
and it was Leonard Bernstein. I don't know what the orchestra was, but he was in Croydon and he had six horns. And I, and I thought, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do it a few more. What would, that, what would that mean to you, Johnny, to be able to be there with six horns? What do you think it would bring? I, I think it would be able, you'd be able to play a bit louder for a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really for the big tune that you'd, you'd feel like you need that, but certainly at the end where you have all those sweeping phrases and you, you're, I mean, it would be amazing to have just oh, a yeah. bit more help to push through into those climaxes. Simon, you might be biased here, but I'm going to ask, what's your favourite movement and why? I'm going to have to just go with the big cheese at the end. Absolutely. I find myself, or feel myself, very fortunate to sit where I do. Because I've got these, you know, the guys and gals behind me playing the horn, the trumpet, you know. And they they get all these amazing tunes and whatever. And I'm I'm sitting, you know, I just sort of sit playing a pedal note and these guys are just letting rip behind, you know. (laughs) And it's, it's a, you know, it really is hairs on the back of your neck stuff. It's, it's brilliant. That's a compliment, Johnny, by the way. That, that's, that's true. That is true. I mean, I, mean I, get, I get hairs on the back of my neck coming up to that modulation in the middle of the big tune. Knowing what's coming, I, I, I get it. And I'm playing it. And it's really hard to actually calm down a bit and just go. Yeah. And, and what's frustrating when you play it is you're, you have to get it right. You can't play it like you listen to it it's this weird like blockage in what you feel like you want to actually express but you have to just slightly just temper it a bit because otherwise you put it you put it all over the ceiling johnny i was just i was just thinking about uh, the you know the emotional musicians that we are and uh, a little insight for, for people out there that, you know, when we're rehearsing these things and you, you're building up and you're building up and you're building up and you get to this climax, so often in a rehearsal, half the, half the, the naughty people at the back, like the horns, <laughs> trumpets, bassoons, whatever, and they'll all go, way! <laughs> you know, and we then have to also get back on it and, you know, you've got Vladimir conducting or something and he's like, sorry, you know, he, he gives us a little smile. He knows that we've he we've knows. reached that point and it's heroic and we're, you know... You've got to let it out, pure, surely. Pure, <laughs> pure ecstasy. We, we, we just have to let it out, yeah. Tom, do you feel that? I feel, you know, when the strings are really soaring and you can imagine that it's nice long bow strokes, do you get lost in that moment or are you thinking, no, this is the timing? That's one of the best things, things I love about the job. You know, those mm. big tunes, you know, when you're right up on the E string... We're right at the top, you know. I mean, the first violins we have, we have the tunes, and um, going right to the top of the instrument. Up there, there's only the piccolo that's as high as us. That's why I'm not a big fan of so much contemporary music, which is just all. A lot of it's just angular stuff, and they they forget this whole concept of melody. And, you know, with this symphony, it's the only one where every movement is in a major key. And so that's always bringing up that joyful feeling. Is there a sense of joy throughout? The fifth symphony, it, it almost goes hand in hand with the fourth, where he had, you know, the tumour and he had to give up drinking and it was dark and gloomy. And I think he just had this whole sort of atmosphere in the fourth symphony. And then the fifth symphony is just the release and the relief and the fact that he's kind of got over it. He Perhaps it, it's just so much more optimistic as a result of how perhaps negative he was when he, in, in terms of his frame of mind when he was composing the fourth. Going back to what we were talking about, your very, sort of, you know, the very opening and the, the incredible horn line, I mean, there is something sort of... Uh, yes. about it, isn't there, somehow? Yes. 
So it's, it's probably exactly what you're saying. There's probably just a, a relief. Tom, I'm coming to it now. We're going to speak about this finale. <laughs> what is it like to play? I literally get my spine tingles at that bit. It's a physical wow. sensation. You know, when... Um, we're just playing chords below, but it is it really it's it is so unbelievably moving. Um, one of my favourite bits, Tom, in that when that tune comes in is just that long note in the first violins that goes over the whole thing, and it's just it's like your it genuinely is a bit like your like that. It's the violin note that gives the sense of flying, and and that's just the, it's just that one note that soars over everything while the horns kind of the machine of the wings of the swan or you know the movement and momentum you've got the horn momentum you've got the tune in the winds that's just heartbreaking particularly when it comes back again later when the big tune happens of course we have thirds which it doesn't say you should double stop them and you know playing two notes together yes. but um, i think we often do because it's, it's sort of fun and you get the chance to play two notes underneath. It's like anything, really, you know, the sort of Tchaikovsky symphonies or Brahms symphonies or whatever, you know, you practice your individual part and whatever, but then when it all blends together and you get that support from underneath, you get these the middle sort of, you know, obviously the harmonies and whatever, but then you get some soaring line on top. That's what just, the, the whole picture is what gives you the sort of spine and that's why we do it you know i mean it, you don't get bored of it you just don't get bored of moments like that and it's like i say you get this way sort of thing about it because you know there, there's some pieces that you are fortunate or unfortunate to, to play a lot in you know through your career and it's it can it's just the way it goes sometimes you know you could play it a thousand times you don't get bored of it and i guess there is a magic there if you're getting that feeling in rehearsal I mean, back in the day when we had an audience, uh, you know, I mean, there's nothing better and we miss you all and we want to see you as soon as possible. But, you know, <laughs> you you go through those rehearsals and you are building, building, building. And, you, you you know, you do sort of peak in the concert. And when we've done it well and the conductors, you know, he or she has, has given their all and, and we all do our bit. And then the audience, you know, when you get that response and... That's what it's all about. It's and just, you can see it on their faces as well, and where we sit, because yeah. we're right on the edge of the stage. I can see out to the right side of my eyes the the audience at that moment, and they, you know, the, people get smiles on their faces. Oh, that's all the crying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it couldn't be anything else. It's instantly recognisable. He has he has a voice. It's like Britain, or the really great composers have a way of speaking, have a language that couldn't be anybody else's. You know, one thing with Sibelius Five, I'll see sort of non-musicians. If she's, oh, you know, what, what you what you playing in tonight? Oh, I'm doing Sibelius Five. You, oh, right, I don't know, I don't know what that is. And if you go, buddy, buddy, oh yeah, and, you know, know there's a few pieces like that. But you know, people know it. It's, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say. But you know, the, the Hovis bread ad, you know, yes. <laughs> new world Orvis. Orvis. And all, Orvis. All, Orvis, you know. But you know, it's it's that thing of you know, people don't know it, but you say, you know what? I bet you do. That's the beauty of it. I mean, Sibelius Five, you know, yeah, let's talk about the last movement, whatever, but there is something just brilliant. When Osmo did it with us, and after the horn line, he got the strings to play so quietly. Do you mean the semi-quaver bits where it was very quiet? Yeah, he, he got the strings to play so quietly. I almost couldn't breathe. It was like, it wasn't just played. It was almost nothing. It was just like a breeze. It was, it was amazing. You know why I think that is one of the best bits for us? Because 
Sibelius divides the first violins into, into four parts of that bit. And there's one of them which is quite sort of technically demanding. So, you know, you, you're challenged there as well. And it's a, it's a wonderful contrast, that bit, is it's the semiquaver bit to the big tune. Yeah. And, and also it, it gives you so much space to get to the end as well. You can't wait to play your own part, but you actually go to work and you can't wait to hear other parts. I think one of the great things about this symphony is there's nothing predictable in it. But I mean, if I never had to play Chite 4 again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cry. But yeah. I, I, find, I find with Sibelius, especially this one, I, in fact, I think all of the symphonies, there's no real sort of repetition. It is so inventive. Do you think that's because it's so organic? Because there, there is a lot of stretch and expanse in the piece that that allows conductors to sort of give and take a lot more. So you get, uh, most of the times when you've played, it's quite, it's quite different. You know, you get, even, the, even the speeds, you listen to some speeds that some people take it. Some people really drag it out and then they'll rush through other bits and then they like, and they've got, I mean, it's like they've got a little sound desk on their own. You know, there's, there's very little about it that's extremely prescriptive. The LPO has recorded this symphony three times under different conductors as well. And you sort of alluded there to how Osmo Vanska had sort of brought down the, the strings there and created a whole nother texture that you uh, hadn't experienced before. Tom, what was it like recording? Did Were you part of all three recordings? This morning I thought it might be a good idea I'm going to talk about this to actually listen to some of the ones. <laughs> and um, I was surprised the Parva Bergland one Considering how old he was, Papa Beglund, he's the odd one out because he's a much he was an older generation, mm. so he hadn't studied with uh, Jorma Pandula, and I, I was amazed how, in spite of his uh, seniority when he conducted it, how fresh it sounds. Now I'm talking about these final six chords. Is it exciting for you that end? Because we've been speaking about our favourite moments, and that hasn't come up just yet. Um, well, it's, it can be terrifying. If the conductor has properly worked out and if, you, if everyone is assured that the conductor is going to do what he promised he's going to do or she has promised what they're going to do, it's fine. Um, and as long as they actually do it. But, what, is the, what would the promise be, for well, example? They, they give a beat and that's all the chords aren't all the same. And there's, there's a couple of them that are slightly shorter um, you know, um, how long you play them for. So there's the risk that you play it and you're holding it on too long and everyone else has stopped, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yes, yes. And of course, the, the whole orchestra is in unison for about the first time. Everyone is doing the same, everyone's got the same job there. So that Very makes true. it even worse if you're holding it on too long or you come in slightly early or... So much of that, I don't think about the length of the note, but I'm pretty sure that when I started playing the piece, I did. And then it just becomes that you know the piece. And I also know that when I played it for the very first time, probably the first few times, that bit terrified me. But now, it, now it, I don't know, it's like nobody gets nervous singing Happy Birthday because it's so familiar, or Jingle Bells because it's so familiar. But as you become more familiar with it, it becomes sort of second nature almost. Is that the same even if you have a new conductor? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that will be discussed to some degree in, in the rehearsal because of the silence in between, in a big concert hall, it's a, it's a vast space with a whole orchestra either going, or, or, <laughs> it's a bit like sort of going, boom, in a big yeah. hall, because it does stay, it sort of stays there, it doesn't just stop dead. Absolutely. And then you're sort of waiting for the next one, and it's just... If you split the notes, 
I mean, <laughs> it's staying there. It's, you've got to, there's you've, no bringing it back. There's no, yeah. no. You've got to sit there and listen to it until you play the next one. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom, I can see you looking. Have you got the score? Or are you looking at your part there? No, I've got notes for my part. What is the direction from Sibelius in that part? It's just a, a quarter of the crotchet is is written there, and um, and it says three Fs Sforzander, which means you know you've got to play as loud as you can. And I've noticed there's a pencil. This is an old part in front of me. Is a photocopy is quite an old one. Someone's put a, a sort of warning triangle there and wait written underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> it's like a that makes road, it worse. Roadside, you know. Yeah, I mean the, the silence in between. I mean it's more about the silence really rather than the notes. Yeah. And so I think that's what the conductors play with. Each conductor will play with that silence in between the notes a bit different. Yeah, I was going to say I think one thing with those chords is that they're never going to be metronomic. No. No. And that conductor, he or she will, you know, well, probably not move, give you the next one. And it is almost a sort of shock tactic, almost. Hannah Lintu said when he came in with us, he says this is one bit where you have to learn how to conduct the audience as well as the orchestra. Very true. At the same time. And to actually, for the conductor to make sure that everyone knows that it's not finished. It's not over. It's not over, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. It is great speaking to you all and hearing all of your insights. And uh, we look forward to hearing you playing Sibelius's fifth in person, holding on to your every note very, very soon in the future. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. This is LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Johnny Ryan, Simon Estelle and Tom Eisner for all of their insights into what it's like to be an LPO player playing Zabelius's Fifth Symphony. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod and do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, which we're calling Where Are My Reeds? Or should I say Pants? There's a story behind that one. Thank <laughs> you.